Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Uh, Did you see that our appeal to the Friends of DeSoto to put pressure on Adam Ragusea to begin work on the music for a next edition of Greatest Gen yeah. has happened. I felt really bad when I thought it happened. I felt exactly the same. Adam Ragusea, such a mensch. Yeah. Such a great part of our show and the fabric of the show and like uh, very generous in a number of ways. He saw, he saw the, the fun years. in it, I think. But, uh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so, man. Well, uh, he, what he what he put out on Twitter was yes, it's a it's a yes. The issue is I don't have time to dig through 175 episodes of a show and find the drops that need to be collected. Mm-hmm. So it's a crowdsourcing opportunity. If you out there know about a thing someone says on Voyager that is funny or ridiculous and could be picard songified by Adam Ragusea, uh, you're encouraged to to tweet timecode at him uh, for this project. I think another thing that greased the skids is that Sarus Faravar made like a donation in Adam Ragusea's name to a food bank, which I think is a is another cool way to... That is some real passive aggression right there holy shit that's fucked up i that i respected the game but man you can't say no to a food bank donation no no who's the asshole now it's it is possible to me that they talked about that ahead of time like if you're willing to donate in my name to something i'll i'll give it some consideration but maybe sarus just shot first and and then turned to Ragusea and was like, well, I made the donation. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like blackmail or something. Yeah. And also, you know, we should all be donating to food banks, whether or not we're using it to blackmail people. <laughs> That's a good policy. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess we're obligated now. I wasn't prepared to make any kind of announcement. I don't think we made an announcement on the episode where we were talking about blackmailing the goose. No. But I guess if the goose is involved, we're obligated, aren't we? We're obligated. It's happening. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big. I'm a big Voyager stan. I've seen maybe an episode of Voyager. Wow. I've seen so little of it. It's nuts. Well, there's a there's a long and rich tradition of Star Trek podcasts that are like one of the of the hosts oh, has seen every man. episode, and the other host is a total noob. I don't want to do a show like that. There's a million shows like that out there. It's not going to be a million shows, Adam. It's going to be our show. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. We do a pretty good Star Trek show. We don't have that, but we do have this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what are we going to do? We're going to take our customary break we're gonna do our uh, our award show how do we want to play this yeah so we will get to the end of deep space nine and then we will do the 90s <laughs> the award show where 
we come up with a bunch of invented award categories and give out awards. Our Mount Armis, our Mount Nuckmore episodes. Yeah. We talk about the drunkest Shimode. All of these things. Another thing to look forward to with Voyager, Adam, I don't know if you've been following along with this in the drunkshimoda at gmail.com inbox, but I've been in communication with Felipe and Craig, the illustrator and coder, respectively, of the game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. They're so great. We're getting a couple of new squares put on there. Did you ask for more fucking ladders in that game? <laughs> I did. I, I that That's actually a game mechanic that we're talking about adding, is not, not all shoots, some ladders. <laughs> Because right now it's cool. it's oops all shoots. <laughs> wow, uh, I'm looking forward to unveiling that. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I agree. God, we're so lucky to have uh, such talented people. Yeah, involved the, in our show. The friends of Desoto rule. Because if it were just us, it'd be a real season one Greatest Generation situation <laughs> where. <laughs> It's just us sucking ass for 27 episodes until yeah. we get our shit together. Yeah. We are going to watch every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in chronological order. I think we differ quite a bit in terms of our hope for this show's popularity. <laughs> uh, I personally hope that no one listens. <laughs> yeah. that's a... And this, and this is uh, the vanity press mm-hmm. of, of podcasts. Yeah. Several of the first five episodes I recorded on an iPad with software wow. that like looked like it was pro, but the sound mm. was not pro. We should go back and do George Lucas remastered <laughs> episodes. Let's on go back. <laughs> I want to step on some Jabba tails. Yeah. Go back and re-record every line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and delete some things that we regret. <laughs> yeah, what an opportunity that would be. Yeah, put uh, digitally replace some of the guns with radios. That's how you do it. My whole life, I was I was told there's going to be three prequel films and three uh, and a trilogy after the original trilogy, also. And then we got the three prequel films, and I was young enough to like them mm-hmm. when they came out. Mm-hmm. Concentrate on the moment. Feel. Don't think. And then I, you know, went and saw, dutifully saw all of the the new trilogy. And then I did my rewatch recently because I was like, I've never actually watched like the whole the whole thing in order, including Solo and Rogue One. And uh, watching those prequels and the and the like re remastered original series is fucking crazy. One thing I found yeah. out, you know, you know, in the pod race when Sebulba's pod crashes i think about it all the time his swear is poodoo which we know means fodder he swears by saying fodder wow yeah i mean that's the kind of stuff that you can only get from (laughs) from a deep deep rewatch yeah jabba the hut told told his enemies he would turn them into bantha fodder and and fodder is a swear it's just food Give me a fucking break, Sebulba. Come up with some more creative swears. Especially if it's going to be in a different language, why not make it ultra-vulgar, you know? The kids in the audience aren't going to care. Ultra-vulgar. 
<laughs> that's what I like. Yeah. Call me crazy. Call me a pervert. That's what this show is, and uh, and that's that's why we're Star Trek fans, Adam. <laughs> when we put our show up for uh, scheduled release, like we'll go into the thing, we'll yeah. upload our episode, we'll schedule it. We get the option: is it uh, is it clean? Is it explicit? <laughs> is it ultra vulgar? You better believe we're clicking ultra vulgar every time. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, uh, it comes out with the record industry standard sticker: parental advisory, ultra vulgar lyrics. Are parental advisory stickers still a thing? Oh, like if I don't you know. Were, if you buy physical CDs or records, I I have continued to buy vinyl records, but I don't remember seeing that little stamp yeah. on anything that I've bought. I haven't seen that either. Uh, huh. It's been a long time since I've had a new inbox CD in my hand. No parents are being advised anymore. No. I mean, that was a lot of like Tipper Gore, Laura Bush bullshit back in the day. Sure was. <laughs> Anyways. Boy, am I glad we avoided that. <laughs> yeah. Boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Ben, I'm going to try not to get us canceled <laughs> as we discuss Season 7 of Deep Space Nine. It's Episode 9. It's our last Episode 9 about Deep Space Nine. It's Covenant. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. So we start with a scene in the bar. A uh, Let's establish that Quark and Esri are part of the show before we mm -hmm. turn away from most of our main characters for most of the episode. Uh, Odo is, uh, I guess they're having like a Sunday morning drink. I guess I don't know that the Bajorans meet for, for their worship services on Sunday mornings. That's, that's a very uh, Christianity-centric way of assessing what's going on here. If you could only hear yourselves. I do really love the division of people. Like, uh, some people watch the football on Sunday morning and others get up to go to church. And I like how Kira is not the type to try to coerce her friends to go to church with her if what they really want to do is have the brunch. Good for Kira. Yeah, there is a lot of respect in the relationship between Kira and Odo. There's a... You know, Odo respects Kara's beliefs, and Kara respects Odo's lack of belief in a way that I think is, like, remarkably healthy, given what a rocky start their relationship has had. Maybe the healthiest part is that, God, I feel like so many people fall into this trap where you can't say something positive about a thing without being invited to do the thing that you said something positive about. <laughs> Odo's like, you know, I, I, I really think it's cool, and I wish I could feel the way she does, but it's too bad that I don't. And Kira doesn't pivot that into, oh, well, I should just bring you to church until you finally get it. Like, yeah. like we're going we're gonna to beat this religion into you. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. She lets it go. That really is so sweet. Vedic Fala is offering some conversion classes that you could easily sign up for. No. That's not yeah. where she heads with it. It's, no. uh, you know, Star Trek has traditionally kind of distanced itself from digging into issues of religion pre previous to Deep Space Nine. Religion has always been treated as kind of a regrettable element of humanity's past, but this is a show that deals with a lot of aliens that aren't human. So I think that gives them an opportunity to, like, both talk about things like this without breaking canon. To the extent that I almost feel like 
there are opportunities to go further that I don't believe that they take for fear of alienating a viewership or or going out on too much of a limb. I think an example of this is Odo expressing a regret about not having faith in a higher power. And there's something about that that is so interesting to me because Odo is a god. Right. He's too busy being a god to believe in other gods. And like there's a real... Dr. Manhattan kind of pathos to him that he could have (laughs) if only the writers would encourage it. Like, that's never the pathos that he's dealing with. He's trying to cement himself into into the class that he lives with. He's not trying to have any aspirations towards becoming better than the life that he's had and the friends that he's had up until now. I think that there's a distinction there, though, because, like, while the founders are considered gods by the various client races of the Dominion, they are not snap your fingers and change something about reality gods. They are, they're, they're more like god kings in a way, you know. What rises to the threshold of god? Like this is a, this, here's a question. Yeah. Ben. Like what are the superpowers that qualify as godlike versus just, is it immortality? Is that where it begins and ends? The wormhole alien slash prophets are the kind of god where it's sufficiently advanced technology indistinguishable from, yeah. you know? And and I think that that's the tension that runs throughout Deep Space Nine. Like, is Starfleet going to acknowledge their godhood or are they going to always continue to talk about them as a hyper-advanced alien intelligence that we just don't understand and, you know, probably won't for a long time because our technology is too primitive by comparison. And Deep Space Nine is well-written enough that I think that they get it both ways. Like, it's kind of column A for some characters, column B for others, and for Cisco, a little bit of both. Yeah. Boy, it is... (laughs) The worship is pervasive on DS9, isn't it? (laughs) It sure is. It's a complicated subject, Odo. Anyways, after this hang, Kira is in her quarters and gets a visit from a uh, Vedic she knows from way back in the day, from back in the uh, labor camps that she grew up in. This is Vedic Fala. I'm going to refer to him as this Vedic Fala. (laughs) (laughs) This this Vedic Fala over here. Boy, the... We've been talking a little bit about how Kira's nose ridges seem somewhat diminished in late Deep Space Nine. I feel like all of the leftover loaf went onto this guy's nose. Yeah, he got two scoops. <laughs> His ridges are fucking out of control, man. Nothing. How many people besides your parents have known you for your whole life? Because this Vedic fella has known Kira since she was tiny and it is such a power imbalance in an interesting way to be dropped in on by this Vedic follow who knows your whole deal right he's got a sort of fatherly relationship with her in the way that a clergy member sometimes can with a member of the faithful and he uses that trust for a fucked up reason that's what makes you different from all the other Vedics I know <laughs> yeah especially because she accepts it as a gift and it is not, because yeah. uh, the stone wrapped in a cloth ends up transporting her far away, and we 
go with her to Empak Nor. We know right where we are before Kira does because we see the exterior establishing shot and it's the station but tilty. <laughs> this is a an Empak Nor that has been taken over by the branch Parathians who are no longer just a cult of Bajorans. They are now led by none other than Gul Dukat. I'm sure you have many questions, Norris. Gul Dukat has made a Pa-Wraith megachurch on Epoch Nor. <laughs> it does not fit in with the rest of the quadrant's design aesthetic. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, complaints from neighbors when they put in the building permits. Yeah. But uh, because of, you know, probably some greased palms at City Hall, he was able to ram these these plans through and actually get it built. Just a, a massive building, a yeah. massive uh, draw on resources. The fucking traffic it creates on the weekends is crazy. Pays no quadrant taxes. <laughs> Golducott gets that evil guy step into the light. Like that moment you see in superhero films where you put the camera at about waist height. Yeah. And you give a guy a little bit of a cowboy shot, turns to camera, walks into the light. It's a, it's a great reveal. It's a good moment. Yeah. There was, there was uh, that episode where they put Mark Alamo in, in Bajoran Loaf, and uh-huh. I thought it was interesting to see him kind of... I mean, like, he's in the Cardassian Loaf here, but he's in the Bajoran Getup, and... And I, I feel like it's kind of, it's nice that we have comps of the whole yeah. spectrum for him. He's wearing the Bajoran earring. So yeah. he's got uh, he's got some dangle on that lobe. It's a symbol of the titular covenant that he's made with right. the branch Parathians. And um, he has summoned Kira to him. Not summoned, shanghaied her to, to, uh, to Empak Nor to try and inculcate her into this cult we get a lot of exposition over the scenes that follow and the case that he makes is that he represents the counterpoint to the cisco where the cisco is on team wormhole aliens <laughs> ducat is the pa wraith emissary He's the Ducat. And he has really, like, figured out a way to invert the whole Pajoran religion to make the case that the wormhole aliens in standing idly by and allowing the occupation to happen were, in fact, the, the real criminals in the occupation. He was merely their instrument and is now repenting for that. The Pa-Wraiths were ejected from the Celestial Temple because they wanted to take a more active role in Bajoran affairs. They wanted to break the Wormhole Alien Prime Directive and really get in there. Just like the uh, the tilted Empak Nor, Ben, Golducat's whole worldview is just really twisted, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Pa-Wraiths are not what you think, Norris. Praising the Dark Lord. I mean, like, I feel like it's one thing to uh, to embrace a kind of novel, upside-down reading of a religious text, but when the whole aesthetic attendant to that is, like, lots of, like, gloomy lighting and red accents, it's like, eh, I mean, you're saying that you're not evil, but your whole aesthetic is very 
specifically haunted house. Yeah, you can't help but make that comparison throughout. Kira evokes the name of Jadzia Dax during Dukat's explanation. Yeah. And Dukat shrugs it off in a way that evil people with power often do. Yeah, the I mean, he gives some lip service to the idea that he regrets that she's got in the way while he was trying mm-hmm. to help the Pa Wraith get into the wormhole and force the prophets out. And I wonder how much they like wrote this at Rick Berman. They like, yeah, what a shame that uh, you know we had to like kill her or whatever. But you know, we we had a we, I had a thing I had to do. So it was. Purely out of self-serving reasons. That, like, one of the bits of dialogue they probably wrote out that that would confirm your suspicion, Ben, is like, Dukat's like, yeah, uh, Jadzia Dax, very beautiful woman, very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> she was lucky to be there, honestly. Dukat seems like he's in need of a witness in Kira. He also needs a Tammy Faye Baker. He wants Kira to be involved in this thing. Yeah, but she just doesn't have the lashes for it. No. Or the willingness to betray her own faith the way Vedic Fala does. And that's another great scene we get, which is the confrontation she has with Fala after, after her big scene with with Dukat, like Fala comes in and talks to her in the room that she's been locked in. And he claims to have been a red armband since the like waning days of the occupation. It's helped me make sense of the suffering we all had to endure. He is a Vedic who lost his faith in the prophets a long time ago, but stayed a Vedic. Kira is incredulous about this because she's like, dude, you got us through the occupation the real way, the prophet way, not the Pa Wraith way. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, were you saying shit you didn't really believe? And this Vedic fella guy is like, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I said what I needed to say to get us through a hard time. Sorry. <laughs> He's been a Wraith Lord all the way back to the occupation. That shit is crazy. You know how often I've heard those words used to describe us? He calls Dukat the master, which is a little skin crawly. Yeah. Hey, here's a, here's a tip to any religious leaders, any leader, really, any leader of any kind. Don't let your subordinates call you the master. I think if they do, it means something very bad has happened. Yeah. There's a, a little CSI moment in Curious Quarters back on... DS9 where Cisco and Odo and Worf and O'Brien I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Are looking at the evidence. Uh, She was beamed out by a Dominion style transporter and they know that there was a transponder involved but they don't really have any way of finding her or tracing the transporter because she went missing like way, way before anyone noticed she was missing. You must suspend the disbelief involved with whatever happened to the Vedic fella. Because like they're trying to figure out what happened to Kira. O'Brien finds the rag that the stone was in that transported her away. But uh, they've got no cameras in any part of the station that might have seen this Vedic fella yeah. Uh, coming or going or how he left the station. This Vedic fella 
could have had another transponder, I suppose, but I don't know why he didn't just transport with Kira in that moment. It seems like more for dramatic reasons, so that it's a reveal that he's also there later. Well, you got to get that shot reverse shot moment after Kira beams away. You got to cut back over to this Vedic fella looking satisfied at what he's done. Yeah. Like, how are you going to get to the next scene without that, Ben? I don't know, Adam. I just don't know. I don't know how yeah. you possibly write your way around that puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, I think, maybe the only scene of the investigation into what happened to Kira. Like, they, yeah. there is no B story here. That's not a B story. It's, it's, it is, it's head faint, but not B story. Right. And we really, like, don't spend any more time with that crew for a lot of the rest of the episode. They got us working in shifts. <laughs> it makes that combined with how Kira is in her environment really tamps down the tension. It puts the, it puts the tension on the idea of this religion being made and Dukat being its leader. Yeah. But it totally dials down any sort of danger that Kira is in at any point. And I wonder why it's like that, because uh, why not give us a greater element of danger? Why not make us fearful for Kira's safety? That seems to be off the table right away. She doesn't seem particularly worried. We don't get the sense from Ducat that he is like interested in murdering her if she doesn't right. agree to whatever he's doing. I guess we've got seven seasons of proof that if what Dukat wanted to do was murder Kira, he would have done it already. Right. So that Vedic Fala guy is uh, interested in explaining how their, how their little society that they're building on Imparknar works. So he gives her a tour of the station. Now we're installing these guardrails for safety <laughs> on the second level of Terak Noir. We're using this MIG welder, which you can rent at a local home center. But it does take a little bit of training to operate properly, so we recommend hiring a professional for a job like this. This being a religious cult, we've had all the females ask permission to become pregnant. <laughs> Here we have Mira, who's just about ready to pop. If she does need a cesarean section... The aforementioned TIG welder will come in handy. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yuck. Ben, did you notice this is a two-minute sequence that begins on the top floor, goes down the circular staircase, comes yeah. back toward the camera? It's, it's, it's two a, minutes long. There's a number of beats. There's interactions with, uh, with background actors. I think it's uh, impossible to escape that this is an homage to the pool party scene in Boogie Nights because <laughs> at one point they jump in the pool and you see Kira swim away from the camera and then the camera yeah. comes back up out of the pool and you're like, how do they do it? I don't know how they cleared the Spill the Wine song for this. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the show Pen15. But uh, we just started watching season two of that, and there is a perfect homage to the Boogie Nights pool party scene in, in episode wow. one of season two that I think you'll really love. I haven't seen that show yet. It's been on my list for a while, but I'll elevate it to the top. It's fucking great. And just imagine pool party scene, but it's middle school. And 
<laughs> you can do the math. <laughs> yeah, you can. They meet a character named Benyon, who is sort of the painter of light of the <laughs> Branch Parathians. He's doing a totally gross Thomas Kincaid painting of Ducat and his followers. I like this one. The dog, one dog goes one way and the other dog goes the other way. I don't understand why he brought you here. Benyon looks like Matt Damon with another foot of height and maybe another 30 pounds of, of chiseled muscle. <laughs> and another 15 pounds of hair. <laughs> I thought this guy was a very striking individual. I, I feel like he, he must have been a 90s television that guy. Yeah, like, what are the chances like a, he wasn't, like, arraigned in, like, original Law & Order for whacking his wife or something like that, you know? How could he not have been in Melrose Place? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to click on his name to rule that out. It, it has, he was in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Wow. That, that checks out. <laughs> he does have serious Dr. Quinn energy. You know what? He wasn't in that much. He was in television shows of the 90s. And then he came back for a short project with Jane Seymour called Dr. Quinn Morphine Woman. <laughs> Is that like a, an after-school special about Dr. Quinn getting totally strung out? This isn't your grandma's, Dr. Quinn. He directed a video short in 2019. So it, it looks like he may have pivoted to behind-the-camera hmm. stuff instead of in front of it. But I don't know how you do that when you look like this guy. I think you got to stay in front of the camera, bud. The camera wants Jason Leland Adams. How tall is he? I, I got to find that out because maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's hard to yeah. get a job when you're six foot four. Yeah. You can't be an astronaut when you're six foot four. So why should you be able to be an actor also? How tall is Mark Alamo? He's six feet tall. This guy clearly has like four or five inches on him. There's a scene later on where stretchy Matt Damon... <laughs> just towers over him <laughs> and that's something that you never see on deep space nine Golducott is the tall guy in the room most days yeah him and Worf often the tallest yeah kira starts kind of putting the screws to this guy because he's got a baby coming and she is very critical of this of this religion but benyon is does not he's he's very self-assured in his uh, in his belief system in such a way that he is not an evangelist. He's, you know, yeah, yeah. like, he's like, you don't believe that shit? Fine. <laughs> you're, you're, it's like, you know, <laughs> he's like David Putty. He's like, you're the one going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like Kira is is not taking thinly veiled shots at him and his beliefs. Like she's sport fucking his religion in front of him. And, yeah. uh, and that doesn't seem to bother him at all. He's... He's being wraith-cucked. <laughs> At this point, they attend a religious ceremony being officiated by Gul Dukat, and everybody on the station is in attendance for this. What you want to do is go shopping at the market uh, <laughs> while, while this is happening. Really short lines. Yeah. I mean, if you can find a store that's open, you're going you're gonna to sail through it. Boy, that's true. Kira is like so creeped out in this and she notices somebody standing a little bit ahead of her in the crowd who's wearing a Bajoran blaster in a cat basket and she she grabs the gun and holds up the religious ceremony and is like telling everybody to get on the floor this is a robbery I sit down on the floor and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you 
And Benyon and then like a few more of the red arm bands start standing in between her and Ducat. And the one that breaks the camel's back is that Vedic Fala guy who says like, Enough, Narice. Unless you're willing to kill us all. We're all going to be like three little Fonzies here. And my note I wrote is, what is the cost of stunning all these dopes? Yeah, you got to start firing until your finger falls asleep. Like, like, until the trigger goes click, right? Like, yeah. is there some reason why you can't just stun everyone? What jurisdiction is she in? She's she's talking to the guy that was the, the butcher of Bajor. Like, she could... If she could bring him in, like, the Bajoran provisional government would be thrilled to throw him behind bars, right? What are the chances that the Bajoran militia person has a blaster in their cat basket set to kill for whatever reason, and... It's it's unsecured with that little strap that keeps it that keeps it from being pulled from someone else. Yeah. Like at a at anything but a very specific angle. Like she's got to believe that she could stun everyone, but that's that's never on the table. This is a this is all for show. I wanted this scene to go the way of her pulling the trigger and it being not a real gun or hmm. not ha- not loaded or something and it having been a test. I, I just felt like this scene, yeah. like I believed all of the motivation up until she had the gun in her hand, and then I didn't believe any motivation after that. Because I was like, what is stopping her from just mowing these idiots down? And uh, instead of mowing these idiots down, it is Kira that is mowed down with a clasped fist to uh, the base of her neck. Yeah. A classic Star Trek knockout move. Kirk Chop to sleep. And Ducat, like, leans over her (laughs) while she's asleep and uh, twists the knife by saying, now don't you, do you understand how much they love me? She's not awake, Ducat. (laughs) That's not going to be meaningful to her. When she comes to, she's partially undressed, which really ramps up the creep factor. Yeah. Uh, Ducat is tending to her wounds. And uh, it's clear from this scene that, that perhaps making a martyr out of Ducat is exactly what he wants. I think that, like, the she's going to be killed tension stays out of this episode, even here. But the fact that her clothing has been messed with introduces another kind of tension and another kind of fear and the fact that he's still villain monologuing at her is really terrifying and he's basically making the case like if i can convince you to join me i can make it anywhere right like you're you're the last person that i uh, that people would assume I could convince to to join the Branch Piratheans. So you're the first person I'm going to start on. I should think that after what just happened in the temple, you'd realize that. I feel like in the way that some characters have like power uniforms, whenever I see Kira in, in, this, in this level of undress, 
all she's ever done is kick a major amount of ass or blow up a pizza oven, you know? <laughs> like, she's rarely more dangerous than she is when she's wearing the white tunic with the holes in it, you know? Yeah, right. She presents as someone who maybe has been weakened from the moment, but we know from experience how dangerous she is. She do- she never loses her power in these moments, and yeah. and I think that that's critical. Can you think of a time when she has, like when she was really broken down? She's had very few moments like that. I think that's why you feel so safe with her character whenever she's in dangerous situations. She never, right? She never seems to be outgunned at any point. She's one of the few characters in any media that I could think of being like alone in a remote place with fifty hostiles. And I'm not actually really sweating that much. The alone part is key to that statement. Like, I feel like that is, that's a special magic that Kira's got. And I think that they tried to introduce like a little bit of fear by having that CSI scene where they were looking at her quarters and trying to figure out where she went back on the station, really pegging the needle for how she is in a remote place and they don't even know where to look for her. But uh, I'm still not worried. It's got to be weird to be in your twin station in what may or may not be your twin quarters. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, there was always such a creepy factor to, like, in the Nagilam episode is what I'm thinking. Like, to, when you, whenever you, you're on another Galaxy-class ship that may or may not be haunted. Yeah. There's, there's a great level of discomfort there that... When whenever we're on Empak Noir, I feel like the earlier episodes lean into that far more than this one. Even yeah. uh, the the mega church tunes in, in a strange way tunes out the creepiness of the haunted station. Your anger is a challenge. I welcome it. Another strange thing is the birth of the baby scene. Yeah, they go they go to Six Bay to uh, enjoy this uh, blessed event. Anyone who's seen a Bajoran birth knows that this is going to take several hours. So everyone gets outside of the infirmary and they wait. <laughs> yeah, and they all, wait. They've all brought some reading wait. material. There's a guy inside doing that weird like drum thing where you uh, you like move your hands together and the drums <laughs> flick the little, the little bead back and forth. <laughs> we, saw, we saw O'Brien and Bashir do this. <laughs> yeah. Very that's time a, consuming. That's how Bajorans do this. Bajorans don't push. No. That's they, what we learned. They have to be very relaxed. Yeah. Uh, but maybe maybe not in a case like this when the baby is, in fact, a cardi. The Bob Wraiths. They've sent us a sign. What a reveal. The, the wordless cut to Banyans are really great. And a, a lot of tension between Mika and Banyan in this scene because Gul Dukat, you know, sucks all the air out of the room and is is talking to the faithful about how this is a miracle symbolizing the covenant that they've made with him and that, you know, this this really is Benyon and Mika's kid, but that uh, the Pa Wraiths have changed the appearance of the baby in order to, you know, increase their faith. It's It's something we see all the time, like tangible evidence of how bad a... A leader is yeah, no I don't take responsibility at all only making that leader's followers more fervent in their belief right. that that this is the the leader for them God bless our president I will die for 
because a redemption story is one of the most powerful inspirations to people and figures like that. I'm a flawed leader. I make mistakes. Right. I fucked all of you. <laughs> <laughs> like the the forgiveness narrative is is strong and. This scene, it's fucked up in a lot of ways, but one thing I wanted to talk about was the animatronic baby. (laughs) I read was made by the Chucky people. Wow. uh, The Child's Play people made the the animatronic baby because you can't put loaf on newborns. Yeah. You you can't do it. It's not good for newborns. There are rules about it. This seems like the sort of thing that there you don't need a rule for. You should just know. Someone <laughs> fucked it up, and now there's a rule against it. Yeah. And that's why we've got Chucky babies on Deep Space Nine. God, you know, you know, occasionally how there'll be like a a big PDF that goes around on the internet of like an auction of screen used props from sci-fi things. Oh my god. How much would you spend for this baby? Cardassian animatronic baby, I feel like, is a big ticket item. <laughs> if it still works, which it probably doesn't, you know, it's probably been in the drawer of some prop shop for years. Yeah. They have powers beyond our understanding. Yeah, but you know there's just a guy with a Futaba transmitter just out of frame working the sticks for <laughs> the eyebrows and another one with the arms. And yeah. <laughs> it's big fun. You don't see it a, a whole bunch because it does not look great, but Mark Alamo sells the shit out of it, yeah. and it seems scary when he picks the baby up. That's crucial, right? Yeah. Like if it looked silly enough to where he leaned in and grabbed the baby, you wouldn't care. But I couldn't rule out the idea of Ducat picking up the baby and throwing him to the other side of the promenade. Like I was fearful of the baby's safety here. Fear for the animatronic baby. Yeah. An amazing thing that Deep Space Nine made us feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the scandal has been pivoted into miracle. Yeah. And Ducat has made a Zial for himself, hasn't he? Yeah. Zial has been reborn. This is a name that has not been evoked in this entire episode, but I my mind went there first thing. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, he was so like mentally broken after that. And we don't get any evidence in this episode that he is, like, seeing people that aren't there or anything like that. Like he's, he's pretty with it. He's kind of a different a different Ducat than we've had lately. He's like Jim Jones before the drugs, right? <laughs> right. Kira has a conversation with Fala about whether or not this is a miracle. And it's a real, like, miracles are in the eyes of the beholder conversation because he can cite the prophets disappearing that Jem Hadar mm-hmm. fleet that was coming through the wormhole as something that she considers legitimately to be a miracle. It becomes a real miracle measuring contest when it's like, <laughs> you think the prophets or the pa race have any problem making a baby if they wanted to? Look at all these other things that they're able to do. Right. There's nothing to them. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, did you see all that Benyon react? That was that was crazy. Like, he knows. Their spoons look exactly alike, Vedic Fala. <laughs> like, the shape, the depth. The number of scales. Everything. Count the scales, Vedic Fala. Yeah, and I think that this is a real thing, you know? Like, when somebody is presented with something that could shake their worldview to its very foundation, there is a very strong 
chance that their reaction will be to double down on their belief system. Like, Mm -hmm. you cannot tell somebody that believes in the flat earth about all of the different real evidence that their that their belief system is bullshit because that's not what it's about, you know? I think it's a big part of a person's identity who believes in things like that to feel like uh, like they're being attacked. Yeah. And also, like, the only immunity to the shame of, be, of acknowledging you made a mistake is never acknowledging you made a mistake. And yep. you can never talk them out of it because that it, it, like, it's a belief system that self-reinforces against that. Right. Like, the dumbness of Flat Earth is almost the point. Yeah. Kira wants to talk to the parents and for some reason is granted that ability. <laughs> there is no reason she should be permitted to do this. Only bad things can come of this. Yeah. So, uh, so she does. Yeah. She's like, uh, so, so Benyon, you've prayed alone one-on-one with Ducat and he's like, sure. And she's like, what about your wife? Has she done that? And what position does Ducat like to pray in? Where does he like to finish praying? Yeah. Kira knows what she's talking about because, uh, her mother also prayed with Ducat so she would know. Yeah. You saw what you wanted to see. We basically cut to Mika waiting for Ducat to talk to her. And uh, whenever you set up a meeting near a door to space, I think that is, uh, that's, that's Chekhov's door, right? <laughs> yeah. The door of Damocles. <laughs> right. Ducat shows up. They have their secret conversation about their previous secret encounter. And what you can't do is say the words, If he ever asks me, I don't know if I can lie to him. This is the last line of Cheaters for Time Immemorial. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing that blows up the cheating right here. It makes it a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and Ducat goes, That's fine, baby. I understand. Anyways... You just wait here in this airlock, and I'll yeah. go do something else. Anyway, see ya. And uh, when that door rolls closed, and uh, Mika does not make any attempt to leave <laughs> the airlock section, this scene is so weird because the uh, the door to space rolls open. You get the commensurate sucking that happens when that happens, and then. For some reason, the sucking stops, and Mika's just on the ground with a yeah. door to space behind her. What happened there? I think uh, I think all of the air is out of the room at that point, and so there's no there's no force to keep pushing her toward the hole. She should be floating, Ben. She, you gotta she get been, her into the harness. Well, I mean, I think that that's what Ducat was going for. He he was trying to alien queen her, but he used one of those airlocks <laughs> where the door rolls to the side super slowly. Yeah. And it depressurized in a way that didn't didn't suck her out successfully. Tell you one thing, you're never gonna kill any alien queens that way. No. That's not that is not a way to get a bitch away from a little girl. <laughs> There's gotta be another setting on the controls to blow the doors. Explosive decompression is what Ducat needed to do. Yeah. And he should know better. Yeah, he, he was the administrator of a station just like this. He should know which button you push for that. More, more, sweet, more, more, more. You need everybody? More, stop. Have a time. Ducat does such a shitty job that he doesn't even kill Mika. She survives this incident. Yeah. Because Kira rolls up and closes the door behind her. 
Uh, this this, is this was the miracle moment. to me. Yeah. That, that Mika <laughs> fucking survives. The miracle is that she's pregnant again after this. Yeah. That was very surprising. Oh, what a blessed day this is. There is a scene after this where Ducat is praying, quote mm-hmm. unquote, in his quarters alone and talking to the pot wraiths. And it hit me like he is the one person in this scenario that is not operating on faith. He is, in fact, in league with the Pares. Like, they used him as an instrument of their, of whatever they're trying to do. And he had one inside his body. Like, when, when he is talking to them here, he may, in fact, be in communication with a real alien. Doesn't he have to bust open a doll and, and release more <laughs> yeah. Pares? Like, that's how you... That's how you become in communion with Pa Race. Like, right. he's run out of pinatas, right? Farts don't stick around forever. They dissipate eventually. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, has that been the only example of interaction with Pa Race when one of those things is busted open? They don't just, they don't appear like the prophets to you in that way, right? Well, we appear in lots of different ways. <laughs> Sometimes we look like farts. Other times we look like characters from the show because we don't have enough money to cast new people look at you applying logic to a religious belief that's hilarious (laughs) don't you know how these things work (laughs) mika comes to in the infirmary and uh and a crowd is gathered again outside mika spending a lot of time in this infirmary lately uh getting a lot of uh triangle pillow time Kira makes her accusation public here, in in the public square. Was Mika going to tell everyone that you're the father of her child? Kira. Is that why you tried to kill her? Enough. And it's enough to get her finally dragged away. This is the line that she crossed. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a get the Kool-Aid ready, guys. Like, that's what's coming next. Yeah. This is the moment where I looked at the time code and I was like, there are 10 minutes left in this episode. What is going to happen? Because I kept on waiting to go back to the B story. Certainly the cavalry is on their way, right? What is the status of the rescue mission? With 10 minutes left, we should know by now. We do not. Yeah, like, and and that's a moment in almost any other episode of this show where they'd be saying, we're still a day away from Empak Noor, even at maximum warp, and somebody would have introduced some idea of, like, maybe we should kill Kira. Anyways, we'll decide after dinner, which is in two hours, <laughs> you know? Right. On the promenade, the dinner bell is rung, but uh, it's not the usual time for services. It's, it's because Tukat uh, has gathered the flock together to, uh, to tell them that he loves them very much. But he loves the Pa Wraiths more, and the Pa Wraiths have told him, We must transform ourselves. Our corporeal bodies are not suitable for the task. They gotta become forced ghosts. Yeah, it's time to become a ghost army, and uh, they're gonna do that the next morning. So, look, I've thought a lot about this. If I ever become a cult leader, (laughs) uh, I'm (laughs) I'm not going to give away the plan a day ahead of time. You're just asking your flock to disband and and leave. How how far ahead of time did the Jonestown people know about the Kool-Aid? Because they knew it was poison, right? Like they they did, yeah. Yeah. Well, the morning of the massacre was when that senator was shot at the airport, and oh. I think things came together very quickly after that. 
Wow. It's been a long time since I've taken a deep dive into that. I told you that was the first date I went on with my wife, right? We went to go see the Jonestown movie. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) We held hands during the massacre. The uh, first date I went on with my wife was to get Italian food. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a way that you could do that. Yeah. So uh, we get the passing out the pills scene. Very intense moment when Benyon takes one for him and one for the Bambino. That is really true, right? Like, whenever you're threatening to kill a baby on a show, that really ratchets up the tension. Yeah. Uh, And we cut to Kira's, uh, the room where they're keeping Kira, where she takes a turn for the MacGruber and starts making life-saving inventions out of household materials. Yeah. She uh, she rips open a hole in the wall and, like, plugs it into the heat lamp in the room and blows the door. She's able to escape her, her confines and, uh, and get out there. And she comes in for a an attack vector from the second level of the promenade where she literally, like, jumps off the catwalk Ducat! onto Ducat. And uh, I thought it was very funny that I, I think she jumps like from basically the spot where they showed the guy welding the guardrail. It's almost like they anticipated we might need a guardrail here in case anybody ever like jumps off of here. This is a great action scene. Yeah, pretty exciting. And uh, and and the upshot is she knocks Ducat to the ground and he drops his promazine tablet and it gets confused with all of the other promazine tablets. So uh, when he gets up, he doesn't know which one was his, and this is proof that he was going to fire a blank at his own head, and the faithful were all going to kill themselves, and finally the scales fall from their eyes, and they, they realize that he was using them the whole time. We're told previously that, that the promazine, when you take it, it turns your body to dust in very short order. Yeah. Had we seen this scene of mass death and then mass dust? Yeah. That would have been insane to watch. Totally crazy. Uh. The mob gets incredibly angry and starts flinging their promazine tablets at Dukat, which is yeah. which seems very impotent as a... As a rejection of what's happened to you. Yeah, you got to throw something heavier, guys. Yeah. Um, hey, I brought I brought some uh, some rotten tomatoes. Let's throw these. Benyon's still holding on to his baby, and I felt my second wave of fear for what's going to happen to that baby in this scene because I thought the baby was going to get thrown too. Yeah, uh, that would have been fucked up. Benyon, uh, to his credit, does not throw the baby, and yeah, uh, they it it looks like they're gonna like tear him apart. But he's got a he's always got an escape figured out. He slaps his wrist. He Dominion style transporters out of there. Is his Klingon ship outside? Is that where he's headed? I don't know, cause cause it's not a Klingon style transporter. It's, and it's not a Federation-style transporter. It's a Dominion-style transporter. I'm confused. He's like, he remember, he's like working with Wayun and uh, and Damar at this point. Yeah. Vedic Fala pops his pill. Yeah, and uh, it's not a fake. It's the real deal. 
What if what if he'd f- fucking picked up the one pill? <laughs> and he's like, Faith, gear up, Faith. <clears throat> I kind of thought this was gonna come overtake me a little bit more quickly than than it is. Father, no. I mean, I feel terrible, but I don't know if it's like symptomatic of the pill. <clears throat> It may be, like, psychosomatic, like, I just feel so bad about what's happened. And I feel like I should be dying, so am I, like, doing this to myself, or... Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, give me another one, just to, just to be on the safe side. This actually speaks directly to, to what you were saying before, Ben. He would rather die than live as someone who has to change his mind about a thing. Or live with the shame of having been as grotesquely wrong about something as he was. So we cut to the little D, and Kira is just covered in dust. Like, <laughs> like she, she looks like a vacuum cleaner bag just exploded all over. Like, like she's been antiqued, like in jackass. Yeah, she's uh, she's dusting herself off in the mess, and Odo is there, and he's uh, like, well. Bullet dodged not having any faith. Anyways, right? I'm, I'm not sure if you were aware, but my lungs are liquid. <laughs> and the dust is really doing a number on them. Oh my god, the AQI in this mess hall is off the charts. It's like Portland in September. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to my voice, it's all raspy. Uh, you look... <laughs> You look behind them, Matt Damon is sitting within earshot, and he has, like, a dust outline of a baby at, <laughs> like, around around his bosom, like, that he's frantically trying to wipe off, like, he didn't just kill a baby with that pill. <laughs> you don't see a baby in this scene, Ben. You sure don't. <laughs> Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it! That's a hard question to answer. I know it's my job to answer it here. Here's the thing. Whenever you tell a story of religious condemnation without the corresponding religious self-examination, I think you're telling only half the story. Mm. And I think it is religiously hypocritical for Kira to be over there doing religious tourism, doing religious judgment, and never recognizing that it's her own religion that spawned this thing. They are related concepts. Right. She's judgmental for all the right reasons, like this is a this is a cult and bad shit is going on there. She's hoping to interfere before the flock turns to dust, but take a little bit of fucking ownership about this she never does because Bajoran religion interpretation is the healthy interpretation right and uh, and it never hurts anyone her confidence in that is never shaken in this episode I would have liked for that to have been shaken and much like Kira is rarely felt to feel danger in circumstances like this she's rarely made to feel uh, mixed feelings about her own beliefs here mm-hmm. I like it when she is made to really question shit like that. I think as close as she came was was when she had to confront the reality of her mother's relationship to Gul Dukat. Yeah. And that's great stuff when they make her do that. Yeah. Why why are there so few episodes where she does? This seemed like an opportunity for it that we don't get and so it 
Like, I like that the episode builds Ducat back up into the heavy. I'm very excited for a sprint to the end where where it's it's Ducat against Cisco. I like you can see that's the collision course that we're on. But like you could have gotten heavier hearing you didn't. There's that word again, heavy. Is how I feel about this episode. What about you? I do really like the episode. I think that the the lack of like huge life-threatening stakes is a choice that I actually kind of appreciate because I feel like you can you can dig into the issues more. It's not just like, hey, we're trying to kill you. Fuck you. You're bad for trying to kill me. Like because that's a, like somewhat off the table. The theology of the branch Pyrathians can be explored in a little bit more detail and. Mm-hmm. We're not, like, open to it, but we can be slightly more open-minded and, like, hear them for saying what they believe in. And I think that that's a really interesting writing choice. And uh, I think it's a great Mark Alamo episode and a a really good non-visitor episode. So I enjoyed watching it quite a bit. I am appreciating them while they're here with us. Yeah. Like, we're not going to get too many more of these and... uh, I really do enjoy seeing them together. I enjoy seeing Priority One messages in our inbox. Do you want to see what that is looking like today, Adam? Yeah, yeah, let's take a look. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Wesley. The boy. And it is to all Wesleys everywhere. The message goes like this. To all Wesleys, 33 and younger, how's it going? Having a parent who's a huge nerd. (laughs) To BNA, there hasn't been an embarrassing Star Trek story for a while now, so... My dad named me the eponymous space boy and named my younger brother after one from a galaxy far, far away. Wow. He would have named my sister Seven. Whoa. Looking forward to Voyager and Enterprise? Did this person send this P1 in after the Marin for this episode? Yeah. Yeah, they got in there (laughs) right under the gavel. Uh, Good job, Wesley. Here's the thing. Wesley, while we have committed to doing Voyager... Next, uh, I think it's pretty clear from our Marin that we're going to go back and do uh, TNG again, the remastered version. Was Wesley's dad looking to name a theoretical girl child seven because Wesley's dad was a Voyager nerd or because Wesley's dad was a Seinfeld nerd? That's my question. I don't think it's good to name women numbers, is what I'll say. (laughs) Because I think you're setting them up for... uh, For for being told they're a seven. Yep. So, good bit of restraint there. Yeah. uh, What are you talking about? We haven't told a story of of embarrassment for a while. Every every episode (laughs) is... No, we fucking do. Yeah. Anyways, uh, our next priority one message is from Birdie. And it's to Birdie. And it goes like this. Space. The final frontier. This is Deep Space Nine. It's continuing mission. To stay put. And keep an eye on the wormhole. Best to keep the Dominion at bay. Though they are looking a bit peckish. Hey Worf. 
How about a game of Dabo? Dabo! Happy birthday to the Nanook of the North. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you just have to wish yourself a happy birthday, and that's that's what happened here. Is this birdie is, to birdie? Is birdie the Nanook of the North? I mean, I guess I guess the implication is that that's what's going on here. Also, we missed this by a long time. This was uh, oh, supposed no. to go out on June twenty second. I'm so uh, sorry. Another really. reminder that uh, you're if you're trying to target a P1 for a specific date, uh, get it get it in well well in advance of that date. But uh, we sure appreciate everyone who has gotten a P1. I'm looking at our spreadsheet, Ben. I think we're totally filled until the end of Deep Space Nine. That's wild. Wow. Thanks to everyone who supports the show with a priority one message. Uh, if you want to get in on the award show or uh, or Voyager, you know what to do. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. This is going to feel bad. I might have some regrets with my Shimoda, but it's obviously Gul Dukat, right? <laughs> <laughs> no one's... No one's having more fun than Gul Dukat here. He's a cult leader. Yeah, he's the king. I don't think anyone's having much fun here. No. But uh, if anyone is, it's the one with all the power. So uh, it's Gul Dukat for me. What about you? Gul Dukat for me too, uh, especially for the moment where he's like pawing on the floor at the different pills. <laughs> yeah. Very funny moment to me. I love trying to, trying to figure out the right pill. <laughs> you know when you're when you're going to cottage you're probably taking your poison out of the plastic dispenser with the days of the week oh yeah you got the, the that's little, how you keep them straight little row yeah boy do i love a microdose gummy from lumi labs i'm uh, i'm running low so i'm gonna head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order microdosing is a technique i use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week and uh, i just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code is SCARVES. For 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful. 
no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Adam, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game. Speaking of Little Rose, we've got a 10 by 10, don't we? We sure do. We're currently on square 26, a couple of squares ahead, the naked now. Wow. That would be tub time again, Ben, a type of show I'm not looking forward to repeating, so <laughs> let's not roll a two. I had a lot of fun last time we did a tub episode personally you would um anyways uh episode 10 of season 7 is the one we will be doing and it's called it's only a paper moon traumatized by the loss of his leg nog retreats to the holographic world of 1960s lounge singer vic fontaine it's interesting that it's 60s i always uh, had 50s as my estimate of what vic fontaine's era was i mean that's part of what the joke was for us like his home time period is far more problematic yeah i mean maybe it is 60s but like early 60s or maybe the captured writer doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about which we've often found to be the case hey cool cats i'm just in here dodging the vietnam war <laughs> you're required to learn as you play roll i cannot dodge the responsibility of rolling this die, Ben. No. And uh, and so I must, as nervous as I am. All right. Uh, I've, in typical fashion, rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which does not get us out of danger. It only gets us closer, Ben. We're on square 27, and it's on the doorstep of a of a tub show. The, wow. the bath mat, if you will. Yeah. Uh, just outside. So, Great. 
Cool. Uh, ever ever present bathtub danger ahead for the, ne- <laughs> for the episode after next. But the next episode as it is, just another regular old one for us. All right. Well, that's a big, exciting episode. I think uh, I think this is one of those ones that has a reputation of being a pretty special Deep Space Nine episode. So nice that we're not defiling it by being naked men sitting in water while we while we review it. No, we we defile the episodes in in myriad ways. <laughs> if you would like to help support that defilement, you can head to maximumfun.org slash join. Become a sustaining member of the greatest generation. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can also support our show in lots of free ways, like uh, if you're a, like an Overcast listener, click the little star button on the episode, or if you're an Apple Podcast listener, give us a five-star review and leave a nice, a nice comment about the show, or recommend the show to a friend on social media and follow our social media accounts. We've got Instagram and Twitter accounts at Greatest Trek. Those are run by our buddy, the card daddy, Bill Tilly. Yeah, another way to support the show is uh, buying hundreds of cell phones and downloading the episodes repeatedly on them. Yeah, become a click farm. Gotta thank, uh, more than ever, really, thank Adam Ragusea for all of his work over the years uh, making the great music you hear as our interstitials and our theme music uh, based on the the great original work of Dark Materia. Yeah. Hey, did you know that there is a Discord server for Friends of DeSoto now? I did. I did know that. It's drunkshimoda.com is the Discord server. Hey, is that the place that Facebook can go to? I don't know anything about Discord. I don't either. We've had some debates about, like, if, if there was a way to offer an alternative to Facebook, you know, like if we could become Mark Zuckerberg, but not evil and <laughs> build some website. I don't think, I don't think that's really something that we're capable of. So I don't There's know. There's 31 people in our discord right now. I just wow. went into it. Oh no. It's asking me for my birthday. I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm retreating. <laughs> yeah. It's not for us. It's for friends of DeSoto uh, who want to talk to other friends of DeSoto. So uh, go right. check out drunkshimoda.com or the Facebook groups or the Reddit sub or whatever. Do that. Make a buddy. Make a make a friend of DeSoto, won't you? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, Adam, that's it. I'm done. I want to get off this damn mic. All right. Well, uh, I guess you've got to go uh, pack up your shit. <laughs> I do. With that... With that, we'll be back with you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which neither of us can't possibly dodge. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.